Direct us, O Lord, in all our doings with your most gracious favor, and further us with your continual help, that in all our works begun, continued, and ended in you, we may glorify your holy name, and finally, by your mercy, obtain everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Happy Advent. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, and so it is the first Sunday of our new year in the church. I'm so glad to see that so many of you have survived Thanksgiving and recovered from your celebrations and your Thanksgiving guests. And if your Thanksgiving guests are here with us today, I didn't mean that completely, and we're very happy to welcome you here at Trinity Cathedral. I don't know about you. But the impending arrival of guests to my house causes me both great anticipation and great fear. And it often results in frantic Tasmanian devil-like preparations that leave things looking just right and prepped for gracious hospitality, yet promise woe to anybody trying to open a closet or pull back a bathroom curtain. And at this time of year, we anticipate and prepare and slightly fear all sorts of arrivals. The arrival of guests on our doorstep, our travels to reach other places and other people, the delivery of the Amazon packages just in time for the party, and the arrival of Santa at the end of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, and of course, the apocalypse. And by apocalypse, friends, I don't mean the marauding hordes that you fought on Black Friday. I mean that in the season where we wait and prepare for Christmas, in this season of Advent in which we anticipate the arrival of Christ, of God incarnate, we begin with the end, the apocalypse. And this is wholly appropriate, and yet a little jarring. In just 25 days, not to cause you any panic, we'll be celebrating the great gift of God becoming incarnate, the creator of the universe being humbled to be born as a tiny, helpless infant, to embark on the greatest mission of grace and hope and reconciliation. And while there may be already for us visions of sugar plums dancing in our heads and the setting up of trees and mangers, Today's passage from the Gospel of Luke is intended to stop us in our tracks. Wait. Look. Be here. The plot to arrest Jesus is being whispered in darkened corners and will be put into action in just a few verses. But for now, Jesus is with his disciples in the temple, preaching and teaching to all who will listen. And there are many who are listening. Jesus has watched a widow put in the last of her two coins to the temple treasury. He has foretold the destruction of the temple, the building around them, that not a single stone will remain. He has spoken of the dangers of false prophets and the destruction that will run rampant on the earth in nature and across societies. His followers, he promises, will be persecuted and alienated, but he will be with them always in their afflictions. And all of this leads up to what we just heard a few moments ago. The skies will be filled with signs. Nations will be in distress. 
People will faint from fear and foreboding for what will come upon the world. And then the Son of Man will appear in great glory for all of these signs, all of these portents, Jesus says. The only thing that you're really going to be able to do is stand up and raise your head. Look, wait, be here. This image that Jesus paints for us today is so rich, and we can experience it from so many angles. There's the great power manifested in the signs of the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth. There is the fear of that rolling wave of destruction will sweep us away. And yet, in this captured moment, there is hope incarnate. Remember the fig tree, Jesus says. Remember how you lose hope only to discover in the last moment it blossoming and growing and pointing you towards comfort and strength and warmth. The beginning marks the ending, Jesus says, but I will remain. The end is only the beginning and therefore you will remain as well. This passage that gives us so much in a moment reminds me of a piece of art by a former evangelist. Living in the mid-19th century, this young man left seminary in Brussels after less than three months, a very desirable goal in seminary, so that he could go and share the good news with the poor and the destitute. So great was his passion to serve that he gave away all that he owned, even his bedsheets. And so tender and attentive was his care that he spent days and nights by the bed of the sick and the injured. And all the while he absorbed and sketched and painted. But alas, he wasn't very good at preaching. And he wasn't very good at organizing meetings. And he didn't lead worship very well. And so after 18 months, the evangelism committee strongly encouraged him to move onward to another profession. Writing, it is a fact that the absence of certain qualities may render the performance of the evangelist's primary function totally deficient. Unfortunately, that was the case with our Mr. Vincent Van Gogh. Van Gogh, as you may well know, went on to paint hundreds of works, and he often drew on his experience as an evangelist in Brussels to portray peasants and landscapes. But the painting of Van Gogh's that reminds me most of today's passage is one of his most famous, The Starry Night. Above a sleepy town with a prominent church steeple sits a cypress tree on a hill, a cypress that symbolizes death and mourning, waving in the wind. The sky is filled by the light of the moon and stars, glowing and pulsing, while currents of wind swirl violently through the air. And in the way that Van Gogh paints, every little piece seems to move. Every stroke of the brush is purposeful and beautiful in its intensity, and yet almost overwhelming as a whole. In this painting, there is a harsh reality and yet a supernatural quality. It manages to be both startling and calming. The light battles the oppressing darkness. And what is frankly chaotic calls you to be fully aware and to absorb the moment. 
This is the apocalypse that Jesus speaks of in the temple yard. It is familiar and identifiable and yet presented to you in a way that you'd not yet thought possible. There is violence wrapped in velvet and horror broken open by hope. Look, wait, be here. Despite the million-dollar entertainment industry that is fueled by apocalyptic imagery, be it the Left Behind book series or Doomsday Preppers, the course of action for the apocalypse, according to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is less about stockpiling tuna and more about the preparations of our hearts. In the image Jesus is painting, all of the signs and wonders that are going on force us to pay attention to stand up and raise our heads and really look at what's going on around us, at the discord and the pain and the terror. And once we are fully rooted in the moment and our eyes are opened and we are alert, that's when the waiting begins. And this, this is when hope becomes a gift and not something we can create. Because to be in the moment and to pay attention and then to wait is excruciating. The truth is, Jesus tells us, is that all of these signs are real in such a way that when we look, we're going to be tempted to hide. We very much do not want to see what we just saw. So we duck and cover. We turn away because it is almost too painful not to do it. Here's the thing. Each one of us here today has had something happen to us that changed everything. It was a phone call, or a chance encounter, or a diagnosis, or a birth, or a death. And there are moments in our lives where something definitively ended, and something new began you or I could never be the same because of it. And then there are the things that happen to us, to our communities and to our nation, to our human family that are mind-blowing. In our city of Phoenix, there are 300,000 people living below the poverty line. Across our nation, innocent people are being slaughtered seemingly everywhere that we turn. And there are refugees pouring over borders in the hope that starving in a camp in one country has got to be better than waiting to be killed in your own. And then there are the things that happen to the earth, how we exploit it for our own gain, and natural disasters that can still knock us down and wipe everything away. All of this, Jesus says, weighs on our hearts in almost intolerable ways. And being aware of it, even momentarily, will make us want to shrink back and protect ourselves. So we obsess over our passing worries. We turn to something that will numb and ease our pain for a moment or for a lifetime. And we create barriers around our hearts to protect them. We put bars around our hearts to shield ourselves. Look. Wait. Be here. It's so difficult. It's so difficult. 
But the persistence of Jesus on this point is disturbing and yet liberating. How often have you heard that piece of nonsense that God doesn't give us more than we can handle? Right here, Jesus is saying, things will happen that you cannot comprehend, let alone handle. But I am asking you, knowing full well that you can retreat into protecting yourself, to stand up, to raise your head, to open your eyes and your heart. And the hope that Christ talks about is not yours or mine. It is the hope of God, eternal and everlasting. It is a gift and a promise that we can always cling to. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, my promise, this hope will not Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The thing about the starry night that I find particularly moving is that it captures a night just before dawn from the view of Van Gogh's window at the asylum of St. Romé. Van Gogh admitted himself after a string of medical anomalies, depression, and anxiety in the spring of 1889. It was one of the most prolific periods of his career. He painted the view from this window over 20 times, and yet this vision of night captured with all of its dynamic hope and great glory, remains the one that we remember and hold on to the most. Maybe it's the colors or the scene. Perhaps we're moved by the wonder or the hope, the fear or the strangeness of it. But it could it not be that somewhere in this, we are also seeing what Van Gogh saw from where he saw it, from the condition he was in. He wrote his brother, through the iron-barred window, I watch the sun rise in all its glory. This is Advent. This is why we start with the apocalypse. In the midst of the worst things happening to you in ways you haven't even been able to imagine, in the deep darkness before the dawn, look, wait, Be here with me. The everlasting hope that is made known to us in Jesus Christ is moving and working. And when you can see it, when you can hold it in your heart, and when you can use your hands to share it, and even when you can't even do that, the dawn is breaking. Through the iron-barred windows of the world and our hearts, we watch the Son of God rise in all his glory. Let us pray. O Heavenly Father, who has filled the world with beauty, open our eyes to behold your gracious hand in all your works, that rejoicing in your whole creation, we may learn to serve you with gladness for the sake of him through whom all things were made. Your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.